This is the story of Sive, a very young girl who lived in a remote mountainy part of Kerry. It is the late evening of a bitter March day, and Sive has not yet returned from school in the village. Mina, her uncle's wife, a childless, hard-featured woman of forty, is working in her poorly furnished kitchen when she has a surprise visit from Tamashin Sean Roa, a matchmaker. Come in. How are you? How are you? Colin you're Murphy. Colin, you're very welcome. Mary Keane. Mary Keane, yeah. How are you? Thank you for having us here to, to the pub in Listow. Oh, you're very welcome. Delighted to see you. I, I see a fine uh, picture there, a mural on the wall yeah. behind the, uh, the, the bar. That's there a long, long time. It must be there over 40 years. The young lady with the blue dress laying on the table was just drowned. Her name is Side. They wanted to marry her off to an old man and she, she just wouldn't and she ran out the back window one morning with a blue dress on her and was drowned in the bog. Well, that's the story, of course, of John B.'s first play, Sai. So we go over and sit down and let's, uh, let's hear the story of that first production of Sai. Come in. Are you alone, Vanity, or is there someone with you? I'm as much alone as ever I'll be. Come into the head of the fire. You look like a scarecrow there in the doorway. God help us, am I like a scarecrow always? Making love and marriage between people and no thanks for it. <laughs> Mary, so you've, you've had this bar here um, since 1955. Used John B. write in the, in the bar? He used to write in the bar, and during quiet times he could manage to write in between customers. But mostly at night when the customers left, we would put on a big fire and he would sit at the table and write. And he'd be writing, writing for as long as he could stay away. <laughs> if it's after matchmaking you came by, you've put pains on your feet from that. Tomashin Chan Rua never blisters his feet without cards. There's someone who have a great wish for the young lady, this one they call Sive. He have the grass at twenty cows. He have the mouth half open when he'd be talking about her. Tis the sign of love, woman. We're, we're joined as well here in John B. Keane's bar by Nora Relihan, who you heard in that clip of Sive playing the part of Mina. Nora, tell me, what, what was the first you heard of this play, Sive? I heard about it at rehearsal of the Listower Drama Group. The then secretary of the drama group, the late Bill Carney, he brought the script to rehearsal and he um, suggested that we might consider this new play by John Keane. As he was then, there was always a lot of interest that time in casting a play. Casting a play was like uh, having an audition on Broadway almost. People were so interested in drama because it goes back a long way to the end, certainly, of the 19th century in the stove. There were a lot of people writing that somehow infected the whole place. Mary, why did John B. give the script to the local group? He was rejected by the Abbey and he was left with the script and the next best thing was the Listowel Drama Group. So, Nora, you're in rehearsals on this new play. The Abbey said it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. What do you as a cast think? Well, first of all, I had the strongest you lines have. to say, I suppose. <laughs> I thought it was just realism. I mean, I thought this dialect was of the people, for the people, and by the people. One of the reasons I like his, uh, John B's plays so much is I like the language so much is that I feel that he has captured the North Kerry idiom when it could have been lost. This lovely Elizabethan turn of phrase down from the mountain from Rainer Gown, where he used to spend, the, spend his summer holidays. 
it was very different. The language was something we had never used before on stage, anything like it. The plays we were doing really were about stereotypes in a way, you know, of, uh, the Abbey productions. And they were um, not controversial really, apart from the Playboy. Would you do a bit of Mina for us here now? I could do a bit about... Um, so I was back from school and uh, she, Mina, has been trying to coax her with all oh, the, the dreams of wealth and jewellery and with this old man. And uh, when Sive doesn't respond positively, Mina says, Your father was never a father. God forgive him. He straightened his sails and disappeared like the mist of a May morning. It was no wonder your mother died with the shame of it. But he was no father. He had no name. You have no name. You'll have no name till you take a husband. It's time you were told, Michael. You're a by-child, a common by-child, a bastard. And we have another Mina, because Dervla Crotty played the part in a recent Druid production of Sive a couple of years ago. And this is Dervla Crotty playing the same scene. I mind when I was a child, when I was a woman. There were four sisters of us in the one room. There was no corner of a bed we could call our own. We used to sit into the night talking and teething and wondering where the next halfpenny would come from or thinking would it ever come to our turn to meet a boy that we might go with and be talking with and maybe make a husband of. We would kill. We would beg, borrow or steal. We would fire embers of fire at the devil to leave the misery of our own house behind us, to make a home with a man any man that would show four walls to us for his time in the world. Take no note of the man who has nothing to show for himself, who will be full of raw mesh and blather, who would put wings on old cows for you, but has no place to make a marriage bed for you. Take heed of a man with a piece of property. He will stand over his promise. He will keep the good word to you because he has the keeping of words. Now go to the room and be sure to think of what I said. Mary, it's, it's strong stuff, 1950s Ireland. Oh, yes. There was a gasp here in the audience the opening night. Was it controversial? A few nights after, Sai went down here in Listowel. A local curate came. He said, I want to speak to you, he said, about this play. He said, we'll have to get some of that stuff out of it. So he got the road. He, the, the very same priest, a few years later, refused the Abbey Dorney players to come to the parish where he was a curate. They had a lovely hall and uh, the Abidoni crowd were touring with it. That reminds me, Mary, of the audience participation, something you'll pray for, but they went overboard in Abidoni. In the play, there's a scene where Mina is threatening to go for the old woman, and the matchmaker's there, and he's holding back Mina, and a voice comes up from the back of the hall in Abidoni, you're a lever message, lever message. <laughs> <laughs> and then another time, the same production, the same night, Mike Glavin, Mina's husband, has been at the fair selling pigs, bonnets. So he comes back in the door and a voice of the audience again says, Well, to sell the bonnets. <laughs> <laughs> and that was her, that was my cue to say, Did you sell the, you know? Like, obviously it was a success and success breeds success, but was there something in the, in the play itself that was bringing people in, that was mm. reaching out to people? That was or the vernacular. They weren't accustomed to it. After hearing themselves on the stage, speaking the language, a lot of it they spoke themselves. Yeah. And after the initial shock of hearing how they really spoke, mm -hmm. they began to be pleased. They were pleased. And then they saw the people outside were pleased, and then they were proud of themselves. 
to hear some people tell it, one would think that 1950s Ireland and rural Ireland in particular, you were all living under the thumb of Eamon de Valera and John Charles McQuay, the Archbishop of Dublin, uh, and that a rigid Catholic morality ruled. Absolutely. Was that the case? That was the case, 100%. Mm. So how come a play like Sive could be so successful? I think it was the language and it was the people. All the Irish people came behind Sive and held it out there. And it recognised no. a reality. Building a reality. It was the people of Ireland that won mm. the first battle. And then remember at that time, priests dare not be in the audience. There was an old canon law, priests were not allowed to sit in the audience. The priest that married it said, Mary, I'd love to go to see Sive, he said, tonight to the Abbey. Yes. I've no permission, he said, and who will give us permission, I said to him. McQuaid, he said, right. I spent a whole day phoning McQuaid. He would not speak to me. And he had to go on the wings yes, to watch the poor man. Oh, well, priests every night. <laughs> every night. <laughs> priests every night in the wings because and they the weren't wings. allowed by statues yes. sit in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Mary has a story about then when the hall was booked about a fellow coming in too. Remember that? I do. And he came in for a drink and he said, you know, he said, John's play is on, he said, in Wilshire's ballroom. They never had a play, he said, in Welch's ballroom. He said, too big, he said, for a play. And your man said to me, he said, they're trying to make an idiot out of your husband, girl. And what did you think? Frightened in my life. You took him seriously? Well, I did. I did. I was afraid. I went up to the opening night shivering. And so you, you went in, you took your place in the audience. I did. You were nervous. I was. And then Nora came on and she took over the stage and I said, this is all right. <laughs> it was fantastic. The reaction straight away was good. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to relax and enjoy it. And everybody, nearly everyone in the hall, came down here. And now we were only barely able to keep ends meet. And they were all here chatting. And he said to me, Mary, he said, give everyone in the house a drink. <laughs> I said to Jesus. I said to myself, and Nora's husband was there. And she, he came in. And he said, I know you're worried, he said. But no matter. It will make the price of the drink anyway, he said, this play. So Nora, opening night there in Welsh's ballroom, you come to the last scene, uh, the audience is wrapped. Tell us about that, that last scene, those last moments uh, of that first night of the play. Well, there was a hush first, you know. There was a, hush, a gasp, really, because uh, I had been directed to swish all the dev onto the floor. And there was just a gasp, you know. Uh, I'm sobbing, sobbing. And then Liam Scoob attacks me. You're horrible, filthy bitch. And the audience was absolutely, absolutely stunned. And there was just a big, long silence. And then the curtain came down slowly, and then there was huge applause. And, and how did John B. react? Was he called on stage? Yes, that's right. He had a carry blessing. He gave it that night. That the frost might, might never, never afflict your spuds. Yeah. That your cabbages may be always free from worms. And if by chance you have mere ass, may she be in form. Fog, yeah. <laughs> So then, Nora, you took Sive on the road, the amateur circuit. Tell me how that worked. It's a competition, really. There are so many festivals in the country. The winners of the other festivals, they are then allotted a night to put on their play in Athlone, and an adjudicator is there, and then there's an All-Ireland winner. In our programme last week, we were hearing how Anu McMaster, the great uh, travelling yes. actor-manager, yeah. how he didn't like playing Athlone, and at one point he actually cursed, he put a curse on Athlone, yes, yes. because he couldn't get crowds in to see his own yeah. company. And yeah. Trilly was another place he couldn't get people into. Yeah. And what he said about Trilly, I was young, and I used to go mm. to his place mm. in Castle Island. He said, if, if Christ was crucified, 
with the original cast they wouldn't go on Tralee. Which is musical So so by the time you get to Athlone, Sive has already played a lot around the country because you've taken it to oh, it local halls. The regional and festivals. The run up to, to Athlone, the All Ireland finals. Yes. Was that a big deal for you? Massive. Massive. We all got new coats and everything to go. <laughs> Tell us about that night in Athlone when the adjudication was announced. I, I was so excited and so worried. I don't know. I, it, it, there was massive applause, massive, massive applause. Did it matter to you whether, at that stage, whether it won or not? Oh, 100% won. Mm. I want, we wanted to win. Oh, God, yes. Oh, yeah. Why was oh. it so important to you? Because it was our play. Oh, boy, we wanted to win. You, when it was announced, what, what, was the, what was the night like? What did you do? Oh, we drank ourselves to collapse. I should explain again that we're here in John B. Keane's pub in Listowel, hence a, a bit of uh, background noise as the pub uh, goes about its, its, its business. We were invited to the Abbey before we won our throne. It had to win. It had to be good. So the pressure was on because... It was yeah, we were invited. We got the telegram <laughs> before, before we went to Bethlehem, <laughs> which was amazing, you know. Mary, do you remember that telegram? I do well. I do hand delivered from the post office the telegrams were in those days how did john b take it because he delighted he mm. shot up and he rang he rang everyone in the cast yeah. hoping hoping that they would be all available because mm. you see they were amateurs a lot and had jobs and had to get holidays for yeah. it and everything it was a big job to get up there but this is the same this was the same theater the same director ernest blythe who'd rejected the play only yes. what a year or two before massive yeah. pressure put, put on him he had to do yes, it yes he had to do it shareholders yeah. and people uh -huh. yeah, then, yeah. And you see, he would be looking to the Arts Council for a, for, um, a grant. grant, and mm -hmm. it was mentioned when yeah. he applied. Why didn't he put on side to making mm -hmm. money all over the country? Why, why didn't he put it on? Was there a splide there to meet you when you came up for that opening night? No, and it, it, that, that, that is part of the etiquette of theatre. The writer is supposed to be received at the door mm. by the proprietor. You would have thought so. And he wasn't? No. Anywhere I ever went with John, he was always received at the door. Mm -hmm. Anywhere. But the opening night in America was half a carrier was up and the whole of the store was up. <laughs> and every time the singing tinkers, you know, who were like the Greek chorus in the play really, they come in with these wonderful verses and the spiteful verses, attacking verses. Every time these the tinkers came in, it was like Kerry in an All Ireland final playing Dublin. It was, it was, it was a big cheer, a big The ball was in the net. <laughs> so it was difficult that night. One story I remember is the Wexford Opera Festival. Another member of the cast and myself, we were sitting, minding our own business, in the, uh, the lobby of White's Hotel in Wexford. And two ladies were passing, and we heard one saying to the other, You know, my dear, I believe we're having a performance of that peasant play, Sive, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> after all this success, after, after the vindication of winning the All-Ireland, and then the invite to the Abbey, and the invite to the Wexford Opera mm. Festival, mm. and success around the country, did it all go to his head? Not a bit. Mm. No, to none of their heads. You, you let nothing go to your head in this story. You will oh, be long yeah. coming down to you. Airs and graces, John B. wrote a piece about them all the time. <laughs> Airs and graces were never, were never tolerated in no, this story. No, 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 never tolerated. You'd uh, be isolated if you had airs and graces here. And Mary, back at, back in the pub here, you know, with the royalties coming in, was there ever any thought of giving up the pub, of becoming a full-time writer, or did he change his habits around the writing? Wasn't that great? Like, you wouldn't, you know, 
the royalties weren't that great. I remember when Side was published, four, four pennies, four brown pennies he would get uh, from every book that was sold. Did he enjoy his writing, the actual writing of it? He lived it, he lived for it. And that's what killed me. Everything he wrote, he had it figured out before he went down, he sat down to write it, but he nearly had it all done in his head. And when he got the prostate, he, uh, he had two novels to write, one about the street in Church Street where he was born, and the other one about people around here. And he had it all done. And he never did it. It just made me sad because he was sad himself that he wasn't able to write it. He wasn't physically sick when he got it, the prostate, but it, it, it cut him mentally. He was never able to write a full, a full work after. So he had it worked out in his head, but he couldn't get it he down on the page. He couldn't get it down on paper. It used to kill me, kill me when we talk about it. Well, let's let's hear a little from uh, John B. himself now, uh, talking about Sive. Mary Keane, uh, thank you for the, the hospitality of uh, of your pub here, John B. Keane's in Estelle, and Nora Relahan, uh, thank you for joining us as well. Pleasure. Then one night, Mary and I went to see the Listole drama group in All Souls Night, a play in three acts by Joseph Tamilty. When I came home that night, I was impatient and full of ideas. I sent Mary to bed and filled a pint. I sat by the fire for a while, and after a quarter of an hour, I reached for my copybook and pencil, and a song came into my head. Oh, Mike Lavin, you're the man, you was always in the van, with an open door to old man and garsoon. May white snuff be at your wake, baker's bread and carny cake, and a plenty on your table late and so on. May the schnells devour his cups. Six hours later, or exactly seven pints later, or precisely at 6.30 a.m., I had written the first scene of Sive. I didn't think a whole lot of what I had written, and I very nearly crumbled the cramped sheets and tossed them into the fire. About a fortnight later, I had completed the first draft of Sive. I showed it to a few people I knew, and their opinion was the same. It wouldn't work. For one thing, the names of the characters were nothing short of ridiculous. The team outworn, and the language fat too flowery. I went through the play a second time and submitted it to the Abbey Theatre. About five weeks later, it was returned to me without a word of any kind. I would have forgotten about Sive altogether, but for a conversation I had with Bill Carney of the Distol Drama Group. He suggested that I give it to him to read. I did, and he liked it. I am deeply indebted to the Listall Drama Group. They were the first English-speaking amateur group to appear on the Abbey stage. They packed the Abbey for a week during a heatwave. In a sense, they made history. I have written plays which are fast to appear at the Sive, but it was Sive that rocked me into the orbits, or into that strange feminine, rather, of the literati. The highest house in the mountain is a better play, and so is many young men of twenty. A musical play about immigration. Many young men of twenty said goodbye all that long day from break of dawn until the sun was high. Many young men of twenty said goodbye. Well, that was uh, Nora Relahan and uh, Mary Keane in John B. Keane's bar in Listowe. And uh, I'm back in studio uh, now, and I'm joined by uh, Garoth O'Brien, who's a local historian in Athlone, the town which, is, as we've been hearing, is uh, the home of the amateur drama movement. Uh, Garoth, Sive was something of a phenomenon, uh, clearly, but it seems to me that its national success was probably inextricable from the amateur drama festival circuit. What is that circuit, and, and where does it come from? Well, I suppose it, it came about in 1952. Uh, at that time, the Antolsel Festival was looking for uh, 
ways in which they could improve the cultural life of Ireland. And one of the things that they, they uh, decided was that their cultural director, Cecil French Salkeld, should go out and look for a venue for an All-Ireland Drama Festival. And uh, a lot of places were visited, a lot of places were uh, asked would they take on this. I think uh, when, when Mr Salkeld came to Athlone, he met a lady called Aileen Coughlin, who was a producer in Athlone Little Theatre, and she spent a long time trying to convince him why Athlone would not be the suitable venue for the festival. And the more she told him, the more he decided that it should be the suitable venue. So uh, I think it, it, that he, he went off saying, well, as far as I can see, this is the best place I have come to so far, and you have what it takes. Do you mentioned the, um, the, the, the Athlone Little Theatre. I'm reminded of uh, something we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, which was, was the Pike Theatre, and that was part of sort of an informal kind of movement of little theatres or, or pocket theatres, they were called in Dublin. What yeah. was the Athlone Little Theatre? Well, Athlone Little Theatre is this year celebrating its 75th anniversary and uh, it was, uh, again, a local group that was set up in 1936. Uh, I think it was an army captain who was serving in, in the local barracks decided that Athlone needed a, a little theatre. This Lieutenant uh, Cosgrave, or Captain Cosgrave in Athlone, decided that he would put on a show when they started in 1936. So again, it's part of a very vibrant amateur drama scene all over, around the country. I think even today there are drama groups springing up in rural par- parts of Ireland all the time. I know that in Athlone itself uh, we have a history of amateur drama going back uh, 150, 200 years, starting off with Garrison Theatre in the in the local barracks with the when the when there were British. British regiments there and coming right up to date by coincidence it was a, it was a, a, an Irish army captain who started the Athlone Little Theatre so there is that connection but I think that amateur drama I suppose there's not a town in Ireland that hasn't had some kind of a tradition of amateur drama. T- tell us how, you know, how they organised that first festival and, and yeah. what, it, what it entailed. That, that first year, I know that they got a grant of £500 from the Arts Council, which enabled them to get a panel of three adjudicators. And I think the adjudicators for the first festival uh, were certainly Lennox Robinson and Gabriel Fallon, and I think Maureen Delaney. Lennox Robinson and, and, and uh, Gabriel Fallon uh, were or had been directors of the Abbey. Abbey Theatre. Yeah. Um, Gabriel Fallon we heard about in, in, in uh, particularly in, in the programme The Plough of the Stars because he was a, a lifelong yeah. friend of Shauna Casey. So mm. it, was a, it was a very high-powered panel of adjudicators, really. And uh, Lennox Robinson, I mean, his, his plays aren't produced so often now. There was a, a famous production of The White-Headed Boy by mm. uh, Barabbas uh, back in the 90s. But I mean, they would have been a staple uh, in the first half of the 20th century generally in Ireland. They, they would have, and certainly in the drama festivals they were done widely and and one occasion I think he was adjudicating in Scarif and Lennox was I'm told a little bit fond of the bottle and the secretary of Scarif festival went to the hotel to call Lennox for a show and uh, he was getting very little reaction and he said Mr Robinson it's half past seven the show starts at eight o'clock and he said I'm very comfortable in here I don't want to move and he said but the show starts at 8 o'clock and he said what is it he said it's the white headed boy and he said oh dreadful play he said I've seen I've seen it before and it was his own play and it was his own play and on another occasion he, he was adjudicating he was one of a panel of adjudicators and somebody had done a, a, a play by Lennox and the adjudicator was up giving his adjudication and trying to be as fair as he could be and Lennox was down at the back of the hall saying oh my dear god they've crucified my play they've crucified it a lot of a lot of the stories from the early festival Lennox Robinson would be would be one of the very big figures in that and on one occasion uh, I think they'd had a, a production of the at the Hawks well by Yates and there was a discussion on about it in the hotel 
that night and Lennox Robinson was defending it and somebody else wasn't terribly pushed about yeah. it and uh, Sheila Richards uh, Sheila Richards was the Abbey actress Abbey actress who, who adjudicated in Athlone Sheila Richards uh, turned around to him and said you're Yates altar boy and he seemed to get in a huff and go upstairs but he actually went up and got a nightshirt and put it on and came down the stairs carrying a candle proclaiming Yates <laughs> <laughs> to his audience so we come to Sive, uh, 1959. Tell us about about that spring uh, as this play was was making its way around the country before Athlone. Well, the the success of it in various places. I suppose what people were were really interested in was the reaction in Limerick when I think they they used the Gardaí to quell the crowds because there were so many people waiting, looking, trying to get into the show in Limerick. That's a, that's a uh, nice take on the theatre riots, which has been one is, of the recurring it, themes it, in this. Uh, I have actually a, sec- a cutting here from the Kerry Man um, from uh, April the 11th, 1959. So this is um, this is a report on the the local festival. I think it was in. Uh, Charlesville and um, the Kerryman reported that even though the Sive was on in the big auditorium in the town and even though the local festival committee had run ads in the papers a week previously saying that the play was booked out 200 people were turned away from it. Yeah. That's kind of extraordinary. And, and the same kind of figures happened in Athlone, that there were two or three hundred people not able to get seats for it on the night, which was so far from the stole, and a lot of them were people who had travelled from the stole. They must have been rather heartened by, by the fact that in a, the festival bar, which was just around the corner, the late PJ Bannon had a, a board outside which said, Sive six to four on. God's Gentry two to one, Wood of the Whispering three to one, ten to one others. And uh, was he actually was he was he was he taking bets? Was he offering the odds? He, I, no, he wouldn't have been. He was no. a, he was a, a cute publican, but he wasn't <laughs> into he wasn't into illegal betting. I don't think. Um, did uh, did Ernest Blythe himself ever come to the festival? Well, I have heard that he, he arrived in 1959 with some other uh, members of the Abbey Theatre uh, that they were looking at this show because... Uh, Sive in particular. Sive in particular because they had already, I believe, uh, invited uh, the Lestole group to put it on for a week. In fact, people uh, involved in the amateur movement felt that that was somewhat prejudicing the result that ah. uh, it was putting it up in favour there of John B. Cain. But uh, they had been invited to put it on for a week in the Abbey and, you know, I think there was this slight disappointment that it was uh, the amateurs putting on an amateur show in the Abbey mm-hmm. rather than maybe the Abbey saying, well, OK, we rejected the play, but now we see that it's a, a crowd pleaser and we're happy to to do a production, a full-blown production themselves. But they it, it, it did have the distinction, I think, I believe, of being the first amateur drama group to be invited by the Abbey to put a, a play on their stage for a week. And in later years, the winner of the All-Ireland was often uh, invited to do a week's run in the Peacock Theatre. Yeah, I would have thought that if you brought the winner up to Dublin to uh, to, to any of the, 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 the sort of mid-sized spaces in Dublin, they'd pack it out for a week. Oh, absolutely. I suppose if there was more media coverage and that... Well, maybe there's some enterprising producer out there who, uh, in, in a time of uh, lessened budgets and probably cheaper venues uh, for hire in Dublin, might be willing to take a punt. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to thank uh, Nora Relahan and Mary Keane, who you heard earlier in the programme, for their hospitality in Listowel. Um, and uh, we'll leave now with uh, John B. himself singing the song from Sive uh, and Grow the Brian. Thank you for, uh, for joining us With an open door to all men and garsoon May white snuff be at your wake, baker's bread and corny cake And a plenty on your table late and soon May the snails devour his cups, may the rains do harm us, 
May the devil sweep the hairy crater soon. He's as greedy as a sow, as a crow behind the plough. The black man from the mountain shone in May he screech with awful thirst, may his brains and eyeballs burst. That melted Amadon, that big bastoon. Oh, may the flesh consume his bed and the mange ate up his head. The black man from the mountain shone in then the final verse which brings down the final curtain. Oh, come all good men and true, a sad tale I'll tell to you. Ah, love maiden fair who died this day. Oh, they murdered lovely sigh, for she wouldn't be a bride. And they let her dead to bury in the clay.